Salutations, and welcome to the Harlots of History podcast, where we scorch the history books and take back the word harlot one episode at a time. This is a show for the curious listener, the raunchy feminist, the sex-positive comic, co-hosted by us, your resident amateur historians who love a side of sexy with their history. Listen as we chat and lecture each other on infamous mistresses, lovers, sex workers, courtesans, madams, vamps, sirens, scam artists, and of course, harlots. And we try not to get too sidetracked with rants about putrid patriarchy. I'm Kara Mia, a mom of three. And I'm Emily, a fur mom of three. So go grab your pork rinds or your kale chips. A glass of wine or a big old mug of tea. We're not judging. We will keep you entertained while you wash your dishes, wash your feet, or wash that man right out of your hair. This show also contains alcohol, some very colorful language, and eyebrow raise, sexual content, and is not appropriate for those under 18. Sorry, not sorry to our children and pets. All right, hello. <laughs> Hi, how is everyone? How are you guys doing? Are you hanging in there? This episode is coming out in two weeks, so I don't know how we're all going to be, but we're, we're recording it on, on election, election day. day. Oh, but this is Highlights of History. I'm Emily. I'm wearing a fuzzy hat. <laughs> that was the biggest, like, oh, Emily, that was the biggest sigh. <laughs> I know. All right, it's time for my kombucha. Who are you? Wait. Oh. My name's Karamia. That was Emily opening up her drink. My name's Karamia, and I am currently wearing a string of pearls. And actually, it's one of my amazing vintage finds. It actually looks like a collar, right, Em? It does. I thought you were actually oh Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Nope, I'm here. <laughs> Not nearly as cool. Okay. Oh, my, my kombucha is good. I was in the kombucha aisle, the hard kombucha aisle for like 10 minutes at Whole Foods today trying to figure out what kind I wanted. So I ended up with going with one that said you are radiant because I felt like, you know, I am radiant. Well, Emily and I have a very, that's one of our biggest disagreements. I think kombucha is disgusting. I used to, but now I live in boulders or I live right outside Boulder. So I'm a hippie. <laughs> You are the farthest thing away from a hippie I've ever met. If you ever come to Boulder, you will see, we call them yippies. They're like rich hippies, but I'm like broke. So I guess I'm just, but I'm wearing, I'm wearing a hat with a fuzzy You're, you're a blippy, a broke hippie. <laughs> a blippy? Uh, a fat broke, I look like a blimp and I'm a hippie. I'm a blimpy. That's, that's not what I said, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, way to call me fat. Way to kick me when I'm down. All right. Well. Oh, this is so good. Okay. Yeah, we've had, um, Emily and I both have had a couple of pretty rough weeks, but this podcast has really kept us going, um, just kind of worrying about the state of affairs in the world, and I'm sure everyone else is, and that's why we're going to bring you some content to get your mind off of it. Yeah, we actually, so the person I'm going to be talking about today was a president 100 years ago. So if you think about this, um, he could have been elected 100 years ago to the day. Whoa. Did, did you know that today is also me and Matt's four-year anniversary? Well, we I met on know. election night, but yes. it's not the date. It's like the four years, like last election. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cute, but like kind of a cute, but slightly depressing anniversary. Well, that's why we don't celebrate on the actual birthday. We celebrate on the day we adopted our dog because it was like, it was like November 6th. Oh, you said your actual birthday. She met I know. I, I, I call it. 
I know. I call it our, our relationship's birthday. Oh, well, clarify. That's cute. I like it. I know. It's, it's, it's all right. It's because I keep calling it the birthday. So I just had to adapt it to make it. Because it, was, brain. it was the day that you guys met. That's why you call it a birthday, the right? Birthday. Yeah. That's cute. Um, I'm, I'm very disassociated today. So, um, and we also just want to say, Karen and I voted. We know a lot of you voted. Um, we have been having like a lot of correspondence with our listeners. We really appreciate it. It's been helping us. And also we just, we know that we've been stressed out, but like we are two white cis women who are, you know, we know that there are so many other people who are going through a lot of anxiety and a lot of people who feel like they aren't able to have their voices heard. So we just Uh want to acknowledge that. And um, we will do, you know, what we can from, from where we are to. From our limited platform, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Limited platform. Yeah. Um, Okay. Do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, I am so tired of talking about politics. Let's talk about like politics or scandal, not in our lifetime. Let's do it. We're going to do it. All right. Let's do it. So you may have heard of Warren Harding. I don't know. Have you heard of Warren Harding? (laughs) Yes. He was like one of the worst presidents. Yes. Was. I I said one. (laughs) One. One of the worst. Yeah, well, yeah. like real close up there with the incumbent president at this time. No, and, he's nowhere near. He's nowhere near as bad. And I mean, Ronald Reagan, because I just learned all about Iran Contra affair, and oh I'm God. like, how, how? Sorry, I know. I, you. <laughs> every time, okay. I just want to let you know. I, I think that's because I haven't recorded an episode in a really long time. Like my own episode, I researched like completely by myself. It's been like two months since we recorded one of mine. And I was like, I wrote so many rants into this episode, but I was like, I don't think I, so I don't, I think all my episodes have rants, but just, just be prepared. There's a lot of rants. Emily Emily is a professional ranter. She puts it on her resume. I do. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. So Warren Harding was a United States president from 1920 to 1923. And he's kind of regarded as the most wet shoe-ish of presidents. What do you mean by wet shoe? Like he was like a wet shoe. He was just kind of like, nah, like, oh, bland. He, yeah, he was. But okay. the thing is, like, there was a lot of scandal. But I like a lot of it was people. Like, he was kind of a puppet. I mean, mm-hmm. after re- after researching, I hate him. I was reading this last night. I got literal chills with how disgusting I felt from him. So yeah, do you kind of mean like he's like a wet blanket? Yeah, or kind yeah. of, or just like a soggy person. <laughs> he's soggy i'm really uh, trying to just, oh, i'm just really well, trying hold, to on. Get- hold, hold on he was not soggy because that was a great segue <laughs> have you heard of jerry harding no all right so for this very special episode of harlots of history we will be doing our very first feature of a harlot who is not a person but a penis <laughs> i have no words no just words. kidding but William Harding's penis's name was Jerry Harding. I don't know if he like gave it a last name, but I feel like Harding is a really good name for it. I just I was just like, what's the middle name? Jerry, Jerry. P. Harding. <laughs> B? P. P? That's no. Like penis? P for yes, penis. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Jerry Harding sucks. And um, he will not be our harlot. Jerry will be Jerry the penis will be coming in and out of our story quite frequently. It's quite hard to talk about Warren, Warren without talking about Jerry. Jerry made a big impact 
<laughs> not only on Harding's life, but on the life of many women whose lives Jerry entered. Penetrated. Yes. Oh, good one. I was like running out of a new one. Hold on. This is my I best one. Tell. <laughs> not only did Jerry have a mind of his own, he was quite the elusive poet, and that may have been his best quality. And as they say, the pen is mightier than the sword. <laughs> I don't even want to give you the satisfaction right now. I'm looking the other way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, would you like to know the name that he dubbed one of his lover's vaginas? Yeah. I'm not sure. Mrs. Powderson. Powderson? (laughs) It reminds me of the teapot in Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) It's just like, it's just like, that's like. Like powder. I know. Yeah. But I'm just wondering, like, what did he name his cats? (laughs) No, he had a, he had a dog named um, oh fuck um, uh, Laddie Boy. Laddie Boy. His dog's name was Laddie Boy, and he was like the first presidential dog. But mm-hmm. um, okay, so the main person I'm focusing on is Nan Britton, who was one of his mistresses, like arguably I the actually, most important. I know who she is. I love of her. her. I know of her. Okay, well we're gonna talk about her. Um, she has been so wronged in history, which. It's not very, not not uncommon, um, especially for president's mistresses. So we need to talk about her. But I can't really get to her without talking about a lot of other stuff first. So, and really quick, really quick. Did you know, really, like, did you truly know, besides the rumored one, which we've now confirmed did happen between JFK and Marilyn Monroe, I did not know before I started this podcast that presidents had mistresses. Did you know? Because I didn't know. I didn't know what, like how regular it was a thing. Yeah. And and you know what? There's so many. I think we need to like we need to do a uh, spreadsheet on it because there's so many common things. And like there's actually there's a lot of commonalities between JFK and with FDR, too, which episode we just released. But I just listened to that whole episode the other day. So I'm like, oh, my God. Um, and he actually died like kind of in a similar manner as FDR. No, I mean, not not because of polio. But anyway. All right. Getting ahead of ourselves. So let's talk about what the hell was going on in Warren Gamalalal Harding's pants. <laughs> what? His middle name was like Gamalalal, Gamiel, Gamlali. I don't know. Just call him Warren G. Harding. I know, but I like the name Gamalalal. Okay. okay. <laughs> so just so you know, this episode's not in chronological orders. It's really random and sporadic like me, but that's also how Harding was. If you get confused about the time or anything, let me know. I was trying to group it kind of by women and they like didn't like he was in a lot of extramarital relationships for a long time. Like one was 15 years, one was six years. So it's kind of hard to like do those chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's kind of flugy. So we're saying there was some overlapping. There wasn't really overlapping, but I kind of I, I was piecing together a lot of different stuff and I felt like I should I felt like I should do it because there, there wasn't overlapping between the mistresses, but they did exist in his life after, before, like, after. Okay. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. So, okay. Just as companions or just as friends or whatever. We'll get to it. Okay. (laughs) Okay, God, I'm so sweaty. All right. So, Warren, not only did he have a fuck ton of affairs, a deluge of dirty letters, and we will get to it, and a very demanding penis, he was also involved in a huge oil scandal and operated one of the most corrupt White Houses from the time period, period 1920 to 1923, because all White Houses are corrupt, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just a rundown. 
So Teapot Dome was an oil field that was owned by the Navy. This rich guy wanted to buy it, but he needed a president to do it. So Harding's campaign manager pitched him as the guy because he just looked like a president. Harding was a milk toast, a wet shoe, and a plastic panda. I made that last one up. I don't know what it means. <laughs> so Harding propelled his way up the political chain from newspaper runner to senator and then decided to run for president or was talked into running for president. The, at the Republican National Convention, he wasn't nominated on the first four tickets. He was kind of like the only one that they were like, okay, he, he seems like he's easy to boss around and he doesn't have a whole lot of scandal, even though mm -hmm. he had a whole lot of scandal. And while he was a pretty lousy human, he really, people are really on either side. So he is considered one of the worst presidents. He had a lot of scandal, but he, he did do, like, I've, I've really heard both sides. So on one side, he, he was pretty supportive for civil rights at the time. Um, and given the time period, he was opposed to the anti-lynching laws. He believed that democracy was a no, no. democracy. He was for the anti-lynching laws. Yes. Yes. He was for yeah. the anti-lynching laws. Yep. There you go. He um, believed that democracy was a true democracy without equality for black Americans. And he did pull the country out of the post-war depression. He put the federal government on a budget and he put an end to anarchist labor bombings and also did a huge trial for a lot of people that were in jail for having spoken out against the war. So people were getting jailed like years before this because they didn't think we should go to war, um, which, of course, is a huge violation of free speech. Yeah. So he gave these guys trials and um, Oliver Wendell Holmes was like a huge champion of a lot of them. But he also did a lot of bad shit, too. And there was a lot of drama that surrounded him. He loved to drink and gamble. That was like his favorite thing. He would like, I think, I had been a professional gambler. And even in the height of Prohibition, he was constantly drinking, constantly having parties. He was really famous for gambling away a set of White House China. What? Which is white. Yeah. <laughs> he was basically just a party fuckboy who was elected by greedy dudes who wanted someone to boss around. There's even this story, like, there's all these scandals. There's this story about him partying with a bunch of friends in D.C. with some chorus girls. And at 3 a.m., everyone's super drunk, and they want the chorus girls to dance. And then they started throwing plates around as they were dancing. And, and one this, was, hit this was at the White House? No, it was at his, um, oh, like, friend's house. Okay. Yeah. So they uh, they hit them in the head one of the girls in the head and she died. She ended up dying. They had to call. So there were these two guys that were running. There's, there's so much to it. There's a lot of really good podcasts, which I'll mention at the end, if you want to know more, because there's this episode would have been like five hours long if I'd gone into everything. <laughs> um, so they, they called their political fixer who worked for the FBI, but he was basically like, double he was working for the fbi for prohibition and get, catching bootleggers but also he was also working with two guys who were running like a bootleg scam so he wasn't like a good guy he was a um double cross yeah guy. oh my god yeah. no yeah so there's so much scandal he so they called had, like he must have had major ulcers that guy from oh, stress <laughs> so they uh, they called him and then he got harding out and like it was covered up like no one knew that he was ever there yeah and so, again, yeah. so this 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 happened while he was president. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so there were a lot of deaths surrounding people in his office. So there was a guy who was supposed to be the head of like the office of interiors and he was supposed to be in charge of basically like Teapot Dome. So basically 
buying that thing and oil field, right? Yes. The oil field. And he was not allowed. He had left his wife two years before for his mistress. And he was not allowed to do that until he left his mistress, not allowed to, to be in charge of this and work for the president until he left his mistress and went back to his wife because his wife was the cousin of Harding's wife. Oh yes. So she was like, Basically, no, he can't do this until he goes back to his wife. So he told his mistress, I'm leaving you. You have like three weeks to move out. So she went and bought a gun and shot him and killed him. As you do. Yeah, you know. (laughs) And there was another guy that was, you know, there was another guy that was involved in this teapot dome scandal who shot himself in front of a mirror. Yeah, there was just a lot like William Harding died pretty prematurely in the middle of his office. And it's pretty widely conceived that like all this stress and all this scandal, and there's probably scandals we don't even know about was kind of what led him to worrying so much. And he just like had it, I think just like, it's, it's, it's almost, it feels like, you know how it's like, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. But then in order for you to do this for me, I need to do that for someone else. And then that for some, it's like a really weird, like, give and take but like domino effect and yeah and they like the the fbi called his like cronies the the ohio gang because they were from ohio and he wasn't even he was like the patsy he wasn't even the leader of this gang Mm -hmm. and yeah he just basically like he had all these really powerful people like they kind of put him in place to be the president to make their stuff happen Mm. yeah he doesn't seem like someone of strong moral character no no. he he just i I don't think like he's he's been quoted for saying like like he hated being president. He hated being president. He told Nan, his mistress, that he felt like he was in jail. He said, I don't understand these taxes. I wish there was a book somewhere that told me how to like understand taxes, but I probably couldn't read it if I found it. (laughs) Like he one time said he didn't think he ever should have been elected to be in office because he wasn't fit to be president. Like that's yeah, which I mean, that's pretty true. Pretty true. There were these these two other guys um, were uh, in his cabinet were doing a side hustle where they charged bootleggers money to give them so you could sell you could sell booze if you had a medical permit. So they were working in the office where you made the permits. So they charged <laughs> bootleggers money and then they and then they had that that guy working the FBI who like would turn a blind eye. And then they buried all this money in their backyard in D.C. And they had over like 500,000 buried back there. I can see why you were having a hard time condensing this. Yeah. I mean, I literally just like it's like super complicated, like well-placed people in each in each like huge government office. And And I didn't I I just wanted to like do a paragraph on him. I listened to like three or four hour long podcasts about it. So I just yeah, if it's confusing, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to condense it. So. Warren Harding died of a heart attack in bed while his wife was reading to him in the middle of his third year in office in 1923. In 1964, historian Francis Russell found a stack of illicit letters from Warren and Jerry to one of his longtime mistresses, Carrie Phillips, who also just so happened to be the wife of his the wife of his best friend. Before Russell could spill the tea on Harding, his family sued to gain custody of the letters. A deal was reached where the letters would not be published on the condition that the family would hand them over to the Library of Congress in 50 years. So on July 29th, 2014, the letters were revealed. And holy shit, are they scandalous. 
Could you imagine? Like, that's insane. 50 yeah. years. Like, that lady probably, oh my gosh. Or Francis Russell, is that a man or a woman? Doesn't matter. Um, Harry, what? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I was like, it doesn't matter. I think but it was, was a man. I think it was a man. Just like, can you imagine, like, like, I don't even know if they were alive when they were finally released. Um, I don't think she was alive. No. So, so Warren grew up in Marion, Ohio, and he ran the local newspaper. He bought it when he was like 18 with three of his friends. He focused on building the town's economy by highlighting quaint little town stories. And his newspaper grew almost as much as Jerry did when confronted with a beautiful lady. <laughs> Sorry, that was a really bad one. But yeah, he was just, he was focused. He wasn't focused on scandal. He was focused on like highlighting the small town and like, Okay, but let's, I'll be very honest. Coming from the Midwest, there's not a whole lot of scandal in small towns. Well, he was creating enough scandal for everyone. Yeah. But there was in his small town because we'll get to it. But he was like basically, yeah, oh, God, I, I hate him so much. So Warren met Florence Kling, Kling when he was about 25, um, and this is his wife. Florence had a quote-unquote wild streak, which I think was honestly just a way of saying she was a strong woman. She had a daughter from a previous marriage or tryst. She, it's like debated about whether or not they actually got married. She claimed they did and then got divorced. But honestly, I kind of admire her like mm-hmm. if she didn't. And she just said they did because she said that like they got married on a trip and then got divorced right away. And, you know, it shows real gusto for an unwed woman who got pregnant at age 19 in 1880, Ohio. Can you imagine? No. (laughs) Um, My gosh, being an unwed mother going back to Michigan to see people in 2015. Yeah, I was going to say. Jesus. Yeah. Florence was amazing. She was really strong. She worked at the Star when she married Warren. So that's his, the Marion Star was his newspaper. She was in charge of circulation, advertising, and home delivery. So while the history books say Warren propelled the star into a flourishing and profitable newspaper, I really think it was Florence because it was. And when he was in the White House, she created a really friendly relationship with newspapers and the press. She didn't participate in the feminist movement, but um, she was very open and outspoken about women having their own careers. She thought it was very important. She was a big believer in accessibility and like to the White House. And she hosted many White House tours, opened up the gardens to the public. She created a really like welcoming environment and wanted to, you know, not this like up on a pedestal thing. Mm -hmm. And during the pandemic, she did not redecorate the Rose Garden. (laughs) I'm like looking off awkwardly, like Emily accused me of it, but I I know. (laughs) Um, So she also kept him in line with his gambling and drinking addiction. And she refused to let him serve hot dogs at White House Correspondents Dinner, which was probably a good call. (laughs) He wanted to serve hot dogs, like. But also, isn't like didn't like Upton Sinclair's book "The Jungle" just come out at that time? Yeah, maybe. It's like, wouldn't any sensible person not be eating hot dogs during that time? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, she probably. I, well, he. I don't know if he could read. I listened to "Very Presidential" by Ashley Flowers or with Ashley Flowers, and she seems to think that he like couldn't read at all. <laughs> she she harks on it a lot. Okay. Back to 1905. So 1905, Marion, Ohio, 15 years before Warren becomes president. Okay. All right. So Warren's best friend, James, and his wife, Carrie, 
And I think they were all just like couple, like best couple friends. They all mm-hmm. like traveled together. Um, so they had a really, really horrible loss. Their two-year-old son died. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I know. I'm not sure how he died. Uh, so James, the husband, was admitted into a sanitarium, most likely for depression, which understandable, but like, God damn it, fuck sanitariums, especially back then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, like, I I can't imagine. A sanitarium in 1905 was not the place for a grieving parent. And did Warren, like a good friend, call on his biffle in the sanitarium, help take care of the family, and support his wife while he was away? No. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, however, was very supportive. So, uh. I know. So, they started this. I know. And I just feel... Warren Harding, you will see over and over again, I feel like he preys on women's weakness. Like, he preyed on a woman whose husband was in a sanitarium, whose child had just died, who probably leaned on him as, like, a best friend. You know what's weird? Like, he seems, just from what you said so far about him as president and some of his other dealings, it's like he has interests, but then he's really apathetic about everything else that aren't his interests. Except, like, he is interested in, like, his own, like, self-benefit. But at the same time, it's, like, this weird sleaziness that comes out around women. No, he's, he's, he's so gross. And I, I've seen pictures of him. He's not cute, but, like, everyone thought he was really attractive. I don't know. So I'm going to read you some of these letters that they found. Okay. Um, so he and Carrie had this relationship. They went on for 15 years. This relationship went on for 15 years. Um, like, during this time... He and his family and her family all vacationed in Europe together. They were carrying on this affair. They stopped having this affair, like, right around the time that the war was breaking out because she loved Germany and she was kind of a German, like, sympathizer. Are you okay? Yeah. No, I was like, okay, So, and sorry, I was looking up a picture of him. Uh, oh. Carrie was a German sympathizer? Yeah. Yeah, so he's, like, he's, I mean— He's got like a strong jawline, but I don't, I don't know. I also just, I really think, I think he's so gross and we'll get, we'll, we'll get to when we get with Nan. I literally get chills when I think about it. It's, I, yeah, he's so gross. Um, Have you seen a picture of him when he's young? I haven't seen any pictures of him when he's young. All of them are, he's old. Was he like attractive? Oh, he's got that like mustache. Okay. I guess I could see it. I, I, I hate him so much though. I can't see it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, when you hate someone and you're like, I could never see, I guess I could, he's so skeezy. Ugh. No, but I'm like, I could see why he's considered a ladies' man back in those days. Because he's just got very sharp features. He's slender. Yeah, he had a really, really strong jawline. That mustache. He looks like um, he, he looks like one of those guys that would tie you up to the railroad. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, now, here, say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I was just trying to complete your image. Yeah, okay. no, that was it. Sorry, continue. I just really want to see what he looked like. Like, no, ooh, like who is this, like, ladies' man? Okay, just kind of like sweating so much. My feet are sweating so much. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> so he, yeah. So they had this fifteen-year relationship, it and so then, had, so then it went all the way pretty much until he was in the White House, or did it end the year before he went in the White House? It ended like it might not have been actually fifteen years. I think that was rounded up. I think it ended around two thousand seventeen. I think it ended right before he met Nan. Nineteen seventeen. Yeah, that's what I said. You said 2017. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm you. I don't know what decade I'm in, what century, century. I'm in. Oh, God. I'm so, oh, okay. I'm just going to take a sip of my kombucha. Hold on. I am radiant. Okay. All right. So, yeah. So, they had this really long relationship, and it kind of ended because she was like a German sympathizer, and his campaign manager's like, eh. And 
So what and also, what, we have to clarify this time. She wasn't a Nazi sympathizer. They weren't really around then, right? She they weren't like, around, but it was like socialism. And like, yeah, I, you know, people were scared of socialism because socialism, <sighs> one step from communism. Yeah, because free health care is really scary, guys. I'm terrified of that. All right. Anyway, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. Yeah, they had this relationship. I'm going to read you some of these letters that, that were released in 2014. So 100 years later, these letters. Okay. Um, are you ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. January 2nd, 1913. I stopped play to have sandwiches and crack a bottle of wine so I could dwell with my thoughts. You can guess where they centered. On the New Year's beginning a year before, when the bell rang on the chorus while our hearts sang the rapture without words and we greeted the New Year from the hallowed heights of heaven, they had sex when the clock uh, struck. Uh, the yeah. grossest way ever to oh. see so oh. <laughs> I know. They were like really proud that they had sex like at the stroke of midnight. At the stroke of midnight! <laughs> You know, like, why why do I get, like, it's so funny. I can talk about sex plainly, and I love, like, reading, like, beautiful poetry about sex. But, like, when I hear it. It's, it's creepy. But you're, you're, about to, you're about to get so fucking creeped okay. out when I tell you about man. So just, yeah, I should okay. tell you. Okay. So, me reading these letters to you in the middle is, like, saving you from, like, literally, like, wanting to tear your skin off. Okay. So, yeah. Um, when I got home. <laughs> Do you like my voice? Yeah, it's really bringing it home for me. Okay, good. I was too tired to sleep, but I rested, and you were summoned in finally, and you came. A vision vividly plain, a goddess in human form, and a perfect form, clad only in flowing hair, and you were joyously received. And Jerry came and insisted on staying while we all retrospected <laughs> in the happiness of a Sunday in Richmond. Your face! <laughs> I know. I told you this is 1913. I have a lot of okay. Hold on. Yeah, that's dirtier than porn. I know. I know. There was over a hundred letters. Okay, here. Okay, ready for another one? Yes. Uh, she right. said Sept- tentatively. <laughs> <laughs> September fifteenth, nineteen thirteen. Honestly, I hurt with insatiate longing until I feel that there will never be any relief until I take a long, deep, wild drought on your lips and then bury my face on your pillowing breasts. Oh, Carrie, I want the solace you can only give. It is awful to hunger so and be so wholly denied. Wouldn't you like to hear me ask if we only dared (laughs) and answer we dare, <laughs> while souls rejoicing, sang the sweetest of choruses in the music room. Wouldn't you? Oh, God. Okay, it's going to be so, oh, God. I know I include this one. It's so much fucking worse. All right, take a sip of your beer. No, <laughs> it's so bad. And you're, you're from, you're from, like, Lake Superior. Oh, yeah, I'm from, well, it's, it's, I've swam in it for sure many times. Oh, God, you won't swim in it anymore. Oh, All no. Right. Wouldn't you like to get sopping wet out on Superior, not the lake, for the joy of fervent fondling and melting kisses? Wouldn't you like to make the suspected occupant of the next room jealous of the joys he could not know as we did in the morning communion at Richmond? Oh, Carrie, mine, you can see I have yielded and written myself into wild desire. I could beg. And Jerry came and will not go, says he loves you, that you are the only, only love worthwhile in all this world. 
We should have done like a Facebook Live for this episode. Uh, <laughs> just like. Just I told like, you, you want to like tear your skin off. It's just Sorry, not, not what a- it's just like the grossest parts is like when he's like, and Jerry came. Oh, but you God, know what? One I know. thing I like, one thing I do like in his letters is I like how he calls it his morning communion. I know. I was like, oh, I'll go to church for that kind of morning communion. <laughs> God, not with him though. <laughs> no, um, of course not. With my partner. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm just, okay. I'm not even going to read you this whole other letter. I'm just going to read you like bits and pieces of it. Okay. Okay. Jerry, you were called Jerry, whose cards I once sent you to Europe. Came in while I was pondering your notes and glad reflection, and we talked about it. <laughs> he was, so he's talking about his penis. That, but then he conversed with his penis. Yep. Yeah, they had a okay. conversation. Okay. He told me to say that you are the best and darlingless in the world. And if you could have but one wish, it would be to be held in your darling embrace and be thrilled by your pink lips. They convey the surpassing rapture ugh, of human touch and the unspeakable joy of love's surpassing embrace. All right, that's it. He is eloquent. I'll give him that. I know. I know. So, yeah, this affair continued for a long-ass time. It kind of sizzled out. Like, right before he was about to run for president, Carrie actually started blackmailing him. And she, I think Carrie, like, turned up, got the best end of the deal out of all his lovers. Because she started blackmailing him. And basically, he agreed to pay her, like, five grand a year to, like, keep the secret. And his campaign management, like, found out when he was running for president. So, So, they sent Carrie and... This uh, affair, like, the spouses found out. And I think Carrie ended up, like, getting a divorce with her husband. So her and her daughter, like, kind of moved to Europe. But his campaign paid them $20,000 and sent them on, like, a year. $20,000 in 1919. And sent them on a year-round trip to, like, Japan and Europe to get them out of the way. Huh. Which I'm like. That doesn't sound half bad at all. No, I was like, I feel like Carrie, like, good job. Right? <laughs> I, mean, I don't really blame her, though. No. Honest, I, I don't blame her at all because I think he took advantage of her in a vulnerable spot. And she didn't have she didn't have a supportive partner. Her partner was, and I'm not saying her partner wasn't supportive. He was in his, he had a mental breakdown, which is extremely understandable. But, like, she literally was, like, he, he took so much advantage of her, of her vulnerability. So, like, mm-hmm. I really don't fault her for this at all. And he probably groomed her. Yeah, no, God, he's, he's, okay, you're about to hate him so much. Okay. All right, so now we're going to talk about Nan Britton. So I went really, really heavy on the early part of their relationship, and because I, I really wanted to show both their characters, I think that that was best. Nan is always mentioned in, like, any talk about Harding, but she's never, she's never the central character. Like, I couldn't find any podcast just about her, or I couldn't really find, I had to, like, read her book to find anything about her. I mean, except for the, like, you know, broadest details paragraphs yeah Yeah, i mean obviously she's mentioned because she's very important but like and i really think she should be a central character so before we get started um as we've encountered before when a woman is made famous solely because of relationship of her relationship with a famous man it's very difficult to separate her from that relationship so even her entire book is centered solely around him so even her autobiography is only about him so we saw this in our Liz Kendall episode, which will be on our Patreon. So if you want, when we have it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's also like gross because it's like, it's almost like how is the woman reflected in that man's life? Not like who she is. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I like part of the whole reason we started this podcast was like to talk about the women who were mistresses of famous men and like 
what we find a lot of times is it's really hard to separate them. So what I'm going to tell you is mostly about her relationship with him, but I think it actually, we can get a lot about who she was. And I think that me covering her, the whole point is to try to give her some justice because she was, I, sorry, it makes me so mad. She was hounded for years. I'll, I'll get into it. So Nan Britton had what is affectionately known as a schoolgirl crush on Warren Harding. She grew up in Marion, Ohio. So she, he was friends with her father. He was 31 years older than her. So she was treated like a plaything. She is also the mother of Harding's only daughter. But since he was running for president and she was just a small town secretary from Ohio and not his wife, Nan was pushed to the side. And Harding never met his daughter. She was four years old when he died and he never met her. After his death, Harding wrote a book, a really amazing book. It was really, I've, I've read like, I skimmed through a lot of it, read bits and pieces, and it was, it was really good. She's a really good writer. Um, it was the first kiss and tell book. And this was in 1927. Like, can you imagine like the courage having, writing that? It was like the first of its kind. Huh. People weren't writing books like that. It was salacious, a bestseller, incredibly feminist, and it helped her support her daughter as a single mother in the 1920s. Um, I have have really complicated feelings about those kind of books, but if it's well done and it's done for like the reason, like I need to tell my story, not I just need to capitalize on like this person's death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because obviously she released it after he died. But no, like if you're saying it's really well written, it has feminist views. He forsake her and kind of gave her nothing left to work with. Yeah. And the thing is, is that she, uh, she wasn't, she and her daughter were not in his will because the thing is, is like what I realized from reading your book is he was so fucking controlling of her and he took advantage of her in such a gross way. She wrote in her foreword that she was writing this book because she wanted to stop the stigma of unwed mothers and of quote unquote bastards. And I'm like, this is this is 100 years ago. This is she was like, you know, I know women's rights movements were starting, but she was I felt very ahead of her time. Yeah. And she has this quote like at the beginning where she says, you know, if with child or if if love is the only thing that you need to create a child, then a lot of children that are out of that a lot of children that are in marriages are bastards. Mm. If that makes sense, because if it's because a lot of children in marriages are not being born out of love, and most children that aren't are were born out of wedlock are being born out of love. You know, and, she's, yeah. and and that's actually like a subject that's actually really close to my heart because I remember mm-hmm. um, one day when I was managing somebody that, you know, I was telling him like, this is the way that you have to do this. We do this because of safety measures, because of health code reasons. And he goes, well, at least I don't have a child that's a bastard. What? Yeah. He said that about my daughter, Zelda. I had never had someone say that word to me before. And it's like just to find someone like labeling your own child as that when my daughter Zelda never wanted for anything. No. You know? She had both a mother and a father. Thank God we didn't marry. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're better yeah. at friends. And I just, but I couldn't, I just the feeling that you get when somebody calls your child that it feels like they're selling your child short in the world. None of us are defined by our parents. And Zelda, like Zelda brought so much joy. I'm still bringing so much joy and like love and light to so many people. And I feel like she really brought a lot of people together. Like she brought you and I together, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I just think that like, 
Yeah. It's just, no, so it's just like just Nan Britton <sighs> speaking out about that, you know, a hundred mm-hmm. years ago when it's like in 2014, when I had Zelda, it was still like really relevant. Like I was still receiving like a lot of like side eyes. I can't tell you how I felt when I went into like my parents' church one time with just Zelda. You know what I mean? It's just like, well, you should, no one should ever have to feel ashamed or feel like their, sh- their child is a shame, you know? And like, it's like, I don't know. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. So she, and she loved, like, she loved Warren Harding until the day she died. Mm. And she died at an old age. She was so in love with him. <sighs> yeah. She, you know, she doesn't appear in headlines. She, uh, some headlines, but not, not many. I mean, Warren Harding, obviously a lot. She appears as many of our favorite harlots do as a footnote. When mm-hmm. you search for Dan, all you get is podcasts about Harding, articles about Harding, or where she's mentioned as his lover or the woman who capitalized on his her affair with him. Mm. And that was what was sought when this book came out. So um, I have a quote from, I'm just going to read this quote from a New York Times article by Peter Baker because I really like it and I couldn't do any better than him. Quote, she was denounced as a degenerate and a pervert, accused of lying for money and shamed for wagging a diabolical or waging a diabolical campaign of falsehoods against the president's family that tore away at his legacy. Ugh. Right. Okay. Love. What, what is with Wait. men and their freaking legacies? Sorry. I that is no, a I know. project of mine. I don't get oh, that. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. But I thought you would really like this part. Long before Lucy Mercer, case ah! number or Monica Lewinsky, there was Nan Britton, who scandalized the nation with stories of carnal adventures in a White House coat closet and endured a ferocious backlash of public, publicly claiming that she bore the love child of President Warren G. Harding, end quote. Ah, Warren Harding, where every single woman in his life was better than him. Yeah, seriously. So Nan did not have an easy time after the book came out. She was slut-shamed, debased, laughed at, called a succubus, a whore, a liar. A senator even tried to introduce a bill into the Senate to get the book banned. What? Uh, the t- this terrible, terrible, terrible human being, John Dean, who was a bio- biographer, wrote, quote, Britain's sense of timing to cash in could not have been better. All that her papers show is a life- lifetime fixation with Harding and her unending effort to have him as the father of her child, end quote. And, but he is the father of her child. Yeah, well, yes. And she had her daughter in 1919. And do you want to know when it was proven that her daughter was her do- that was his daughter? When? 2015. For 100 years, no one believed her. That is 100 true. years. I know. It, I know. It's like, how are you going to take a paternity? Oh, my gosh. That just made me feel so bad for women back then. Oh, I know. If, and, fathers, if fathers were like, no. Also, as we know. Sex education back then was, oh, abstinence is best. Oh, I literally went on a rant about this on our drive over to my parents' house today. Yeah. Oh, believe me, believe me, because right now I voted yes on referendum 90. And this is something I will talk about because it's just about simple, comprehensive sex education. What was it? I don't have this. No, it's no. So it's like it's literally saying that all schools have to meet the state mandates about comprehensive oh, sex education. Yeah, of and Maya, I think this is how you say your name, Espinoza, Washington's own Betsy DeVos, says that the current superintendent of public schools, what is his name? He's just 
He's doing a great job. He has a a really long last name. Anyways, she said, oh, because he wants comprehensive sex educations, he's teaching sex positions to fourth graders. What? Does she know what sex education is? You can even cut this out. Sorry, but this was something I was ranting about today. And it's just- No, I think we should- When you think about- Sex education, what it was existing like at the time. No DNA testing for abstinence tests. Abortions were outlawed, which means women got them in back alleys. And it's like, what are women supposed to do? Nan was accused of doing it for money, writing the book. She did it because she was a single mom in 1927 trying to raise a daughter. And she did it because she wanted to rewrite the narrative on bastard children. Mm -hmm. She championed for the rights of illegitimate children. And for the fact that the system of marriage for power, not love, was broken, and that children should be acknowledged, cared for, and loved, no matter if they were born out of wedlock, out of a love affair, or out of the dimly lit hall of a speakeasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because Harding asked her to, Nan had destroyed all the letters, so she didn't have any proof. He was so controlling. He was, you'll see as we get into it, she was so scared of anyone finding out because it would hurt him. She loved him so much, and she was... So terrified of anybody finding out anything. She was also not taking out her word because Harding was believed to be infertile. (sighs) And then I have a rant and I just said, fucking believe women, believe them. Because for every woman that is lying, there are hundreds and thousands of women who aren't telling their stories because they won't be believed. Say what you will about Nan, but I think we really need to remember she was a child when she fell in love with him. She was 14 years old. Oh, she hung pictures of him on her wall. She had a celebrity crush. How old? He was, she was 19 and he was 50, 50 years old. I, 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 I yeah, I hate him so much. I, I, before this, I was like, yeah, he's just kind of whatever. But before I read her book, I, okay. Yeah. All right. So Nan was born in Marion, Ohio in 1896. Her father was a doctor. Her mother was a teacher. Abigail Harding, who was Warren's youngest sister or younger sister, was Nan and Elizabeth, who was Nan's sister. There was was their teacher. Nan was 14 when she first became aware of Harding because he was running for governor and she thought of him as like the ideal American. She actually became the talk of this small Ohio town because she campaigned for him. She was, like, talking about him constantly. And her book, she was like, well, you would think a 50-year-old woman who was Harding's wife wouldn't have been jealous of a 14-year-old girl, but apparently she was. And one of the women of the older Marian Ladies Club called Nan's mom and basically told her to, like, shut it down because Nan was just, like, a 14-year-old with a crush, and we've all been there. Well, and also, like, I also kind of feel bad for uh, Warren Harding's wife because, obviously, she knew that she had something to worry about. And she and he was sleeping with her best friend, and I think she knew because the whole town knew. So her mother like shut it down by telling Nan that she saw Harding smoking tobacco, <laughs> and um, Nan decided that she was going to try and pass it off by saying she, in her book, she says like a crush had a crush on Mrs. Harding, like basically her, she was her idol. She called the house and asked for a Mrs. Harding, but sometimes Warren would answer, and it was like a thrill for her. Yeah. I was 14. Like, I, I remember doing this. I'm kind of like, I'm also kind of like, like, dude, she's a 14 year old involved in politics. That's kind of cool, right? I, I find that kind of cool. Yeah. I know. I was like, um, at 14 years old, I was just obsessed over Teen Vogue. And if you weren't in Teen Vogue, I didn't freaking care about you. <laughs> I have so many cut out pictures of like Jared Padalecki and like everyone from Gilmore Girls and ACW show on my wall, which is like, it really hasn't changed. 
And if that matter oh, finds those cutout pictures I have stored inside my my office. <laughs> For me, it was it was it was Heath Ledger and Emil Hirsch. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, Emil Hirsch, me too. Mm. I had such a crush on him. Yeah, I had a, I had a little picture of him. Okay, so Nan even talks about Carrie in her book. She doesn't call her Carrie; she calls her Mrs. Henry Arnold. But it's like obvious if you mm. know anything about him who it is. Yeah, so. I, I just, I just said, I'm trying to see. Like, there's, there's another rant about how Warren took took advantage of her. Yeah. Um. Yeah. There was a time when she was 14 when her older sister told Warren that like Nan hung up. She she like clipped paper pictures out of newspaper articles mm-hmm. and hung them up. And she told him, and he was like, "Oh, Nan, I'll send you a real picture." And she was like so excited and like went home to wait for the mail, and then he never sent it to her. So it's like you know, she her father died when she was sixteen, and it left her mother and I. I don't know how many children they had because like every time I look back, she kept adding another sibling. I think there was like four or five. Mm-hmm. They had like, and they're pretty like. There was a bunch of like ones that were like thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, and then like a two and three year old. Mm. So they were they were pretty poor. They moved out of Marion. Nan went to work at a china shop. It was paid six dollars a week. And her sister convinced her to move to Chicago. And there's a really cute story about her going on the train and she had 30 cents to spare. And she could either get a pie without cheese for 15 cents or a pie with cheese for 25 cents. And she went for the 15 cent one so she could tip her waiter. Oh. I know. And as like a waitress, I'm like, oh. So think about this. It was 1915. Her father had managed all their money. So when he passed, all the women in the family were basically on their own. They didn't know like what to do with their money and they didn't know the value of a dollar. Because, of course, if you have, like, making your own money, you're like, I mean, at least me, I'm like, I'm going to go spend it on hats and shoes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is why I have no money. Um, <laughs> so she's living in Chicago. And she basically gets a benefactor who's one of her father's friends from school. So she's able to roll in secretary school in New York. She moves to Manhattan. And when she's about to graduate, she sends Warren a letter asking him to help her get a job. So there, because there was like a lot of stenographers, but not a lot of jobs for stenographers. Mm. It's a hard word to say. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. I can get you a job. I'll be there in 10 days. And it would be a pleasure to look you up. Ah. I know. So he comes to New York. She tells him that she still has feelings for him. And then I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. Ugh. He invites her up to his room, which happens to be a bridal suite. And they just like barely got in the door before they started baking out. And I just, oh. I'm just like, I literally got chills. Last night, I was like, ugh. And was this, just, was this while he was president? Or right no, before? Sorry. Right before. Sorry. This was in um, 1917, I think. Okay, okay. And so he didn't so be like president until 1920. Oh, yeah, time. Timeline. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to really talk about their sexual encounters much because it just, like, grosses me out. But basically, yeah. they kissed. He called her Deary a bunch. He always called her Deary, which grosses me out. And then he, like, gave her that's 30 what, bucks. That's what your grandma calls you. I know, theory. And then he pinched her cheeks. But he, like, slipped $30 into her stocking. Which, which I'm like, cheek? Yeah. <laughs> Gross. I don't want to think about it. He, like, kept telling her he wanted her to be his bride. He was in love with her. He called her dearie. And that's, like, how we eventually got her to sleep with him. And it just, okay, this part grossed me out, like, to my inner core. Nan had never had the sex talk with her mom. Her mom never told her about it. And she didn't know, like, she was, she, she put off having sex with him, which she should have done because, you know, he was a lot older. And I mean, she should have done whatever she felt was right, but she didn't feel right. So she just should have done it. That's what I mean. 
she put off having sex with him because she didn't feel comfortable. And she basically just thought that, like, you know, she thought it was, like, marriage, people have sex, sex leads to harm. Is that, like, what she was thinking? And she never had the sex talk with her mom. When she met him, when she was dating him, she didn't know where babies came from. She didn't know what belly buttons were. And he told her, oh, ask me anything, I'll tell you. He had to explain to her, like, what would happen if they had sex. I- that's so That's so heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It's so violating. I just, yeah, I really don't have any words about it. I just, it, it, it literally gross. Like my soul is grossed out. My, my six-year-old has already gotten the six-year-old appropriate version of where babies come from. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, seriously, like, because I would have been so taboo. Yep. Yeah. And believe me, and my two-year-old son knows the words penis vulva and he knows consent yes exactly you're doing it right (laughs) consent should be talked about with all of this and so she put off having sex with him even though i hate him so much he basically told her that if people knew they had been together intimately like like slept together in the same bed kiss whatever but hadn't had sex Mm -hmm. they would think of him as less less than a man okay then you shouldn't have done it bro yeah, god damn it. Right? Oh, yeah. I was like, this will be a fun episode, but it's just making me so mad. So Nan had this quote from her book, which I really liked. Quote, and as much as I loved Mr. Harding, the traditional frailty men are wont to attribute to women as the weaker sex did not dominate me. End quote. So I just yeah, she was like, I'm not frail. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So they did end up having sex. This also creeps me out, quote from her book. I remember so well I wore a pink linen dress, which is rather short and enhanced to little girl look. Lolita style. Oh, yeah. There's literally an article called, like, was, like, Nan was, like, Harding's Lolita. Yeah. Writes Nan about losing her virginity as a 19-year-old to a 50-year-old man. Yeah. So, Nan and Warren slash Jerry finally had sex when she was, like, 19 he basically talked her into it by telling she was married, marriage material, all the bullshit. So they met up in a New York City hotel. So she was living in New York at the time. He came to New York a lot. So they would like, he would run a hotel and they would go to his hotel. And usually it was the bridal suite. And it was just like, I just, yeah. They would hobnob. Hobnob. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they have sex. They finally get it done. The second that they are finished, the cops burst into their bedroom and they're trying to arrest them for adultery. I know they were like listening at the door. Like, come on guys. They were dead set on bringing them down to the court. And Harding's like, no, no. Like he said, like literally said, leave the little girl alone. Like shut up. So they finally realized who he was. They picked up his hat and saw it said Warren Harding. And they were like, oh shit. They're like, okay, you guys are fine. Mm. And like that, that was literally after. Okay. She quote- I have complicated feelings about the arrest because adultery being arrested for adultery illicit relations unless it's still illegal in new york did you know that adultery yes i learned that from um from very presidential it's still illegal is it enforced i don't i don't think i mean probably not i don't know how you would enforce it i was just thinking about like all those like nonsense laws that were still in the pawnee charter oh my god (laughs) like like women were still allowed to like not wear pants or they weren't allowed to wear pants or something. I know. Ridiculous. I can't think of anything. Yeah. I mean, that was okay. So like, I don't, we talked about this. I don't really believe in virginity, but lose like having sex for the first time is still a big deal. Hmm. 
so regardless, like I just I think virginity is a social construct because it's like it's stupid. But I think that like having sex for the first time still is a big deal. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, and that was the first time that she had sex, and the cops barged in. You'd be like, oh god, what the fuck? <laughs> like, get you know, it's hard enough for women to have orgasms as it is. Can you imagine? Like, you'd be so distracted every time. You'd be like, are the cops gonna come in? Like, or maybe maybe that's how she started getting off. Maybe. Am I, am I yeah. going to get caught? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to lighten up her sad life so far. <laughs> I know, I know. So um, Warren Harding, I would like to go on record saying that he is an absolute trash monster and he's not good enough to be called a trash panda, so he's being called a trash monster. Trash pandas are too cute for him. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I did go... So the rest, the rest of it is pretty much... Like, I went really heavy on that first part because I wanted to highlight how gross he is so in 1919 so they continue seeing each other like he comes to new york he's like he like helped her get a job and he's just i just feel like he's like lording all these things over her you know Mm -hmm. and um 1919 like february 1919 so he hadn't been like he was a senator at the time but i don't think he wasn't like running for president so she find nan finds out she's pregnant um so she had like They've been seeing each other for two years. He basically gave her the option. He was like, you can get it handled or I mean, he didn't like force her to it. I think he was kind of like, you can have it handled, have the operation. That's what they said. And, and, or you can, I, I think, I, I think he was, what she said was she was really grossed out, kind of not grossed out. She didn't say that. But she was turned off by the fact that he was like, he didn't really care either way. Like he was very ambivalent to like the idea of like a procedure and so she was like that made me want to have the baby more and i think she just like she really just wanted like she really wanted something that was theirs something you know and i just i'm finding a lot of similarities between jfk like we thought about like the handling it but like i felt like you know jfk was kind of like oh yeah like you can handle it but also if you have it we can do it too you know but i don't know so she didn't, so she didn't, she did go to see a doctor. Like she told her sister whose name was Elizabeth. And that was also the name of her daughter. She named her daughter after her sister. She told her sister and her sister went with her to the doctor. And the doctor was like, basically told her, Oh, you know, you're 13 weeks along. That's kind of far. Like, and if you do decide, like, I would caution you not to, he, he said, like, if you do decide to have the operation, it will be way more painful than having birth, which just like creeps me out. Because it was probably and one. How do you know you freaking butt? But also, it also, was oh God. nothing. Nothing. I can you imagine the level, oh of, the the non-existent level of sterilization back then? No, yeah. No, I can because we've been learning about it in microbiology. Like, oh my God. Oh, it just crosses me out. Yeah. So, um, also on a side note, did you know that they used to chloroform women when they were giving birth? Yeah. They used to give them chloroform to put them under. Did you? I, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Or like super drug them. Like women, even when they were like giving birth in the 50s. Honestly, like giving birth while on your back is the most like. That seems like the worst way. It, yeah. And like so women would be like so drugged out. Right. Yeah. And that seems like bad for everyone. Right. Isn't it like. Yeah. And then also, I mean, don't even get me started about how in the 50s no one like breastfed. And if you breastfed your baby, you were weird. I know, dude. My Sorry, we're going on, we're going on like a lot of different rants. This is I know a lot of your your stuff always brings up a lot of different topics for us. I know, dude. My psychology book. I literally took screenshots of like I'm like this book is so 
like 1980s. They literally have a section called breast is best. And I'm like, I know. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Like, yes, breastfeeding is great, but like not everyone can. I breastfed two out of my three babies. Yeah. And it was really hard for you. You felt so much shame when like you couldn't breast, breast, breastfeed. And it was like hard. And it's like, stop the stigma. Like just feed and love your baby. And like, however you do it is fine. <sighs> That's why if you're Stay a wa- women's bodies and women's lives. Mm-mm-mm. Yes. Keep your child warm, fed and loved. However you do it. Like it's you know, the right don't way. Turn them into a monster. Give hug your children. Don't hang them out of windows. Michael <laughs> like, Jackson. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking of Eleanor Roosevelt. <laughs> Did Michael Jackson hang his? Which, oh, I, it's because I just edited the episode and listened to it. You haven't listened to it in a while. No, a doctor told her to hang her baby out of the. Oh, in those cages. She didn't hang her baby no, out was, of the cage. Look up, look up pictures. There is window cages for babies at the turn of the century, like turn of oh, the twentieth century. Yeah, it's like window cages. People used to put their baby in these cages outside their window, like I'm okay. in an apartment oh to get fresh God. air. I told you. Oh, was I not right? These babies look so sad. Oh my god, I'm so depressed now. But they're but they're like they're selling them. They're like you can buy them. No, they're like no, you can. There are these cages for sale. Stop. No shit, that's not good. They're five hundred dollars for like as antiques. No, I don't think so. Okay, no, no. So if you look at like vintage pictures in apartment buildings, yeah, I see them. Like five like stories little- up. They're like in these cages hanging outside okay, the window okay, for okay, fresh okay, air. Okay. I can't even look. I have to. I have to like close out all my windows. I'm like, how did how did people even survive? <laughs> I don't know. My I mom. Really I remember, know. Do you know my mom was like one day? I was like, you know, when I was young, helmets weren't invented yet, and I was like, helmets? Oh God, I know. Yeah, that was a, that's like a relatively new thing. Like my mom just washing my your mom, hands. Is a new thing. This lady, God, we're going on such tangents. This lady came into my work the other day not wearing a mask. And she started telling me about how Anthony Fauci wrote a story or a story, um, <laughs> an article in 2008 about how more people died of pneumococcal pneumonia from masks in 1919. And I was like, of course they fucking did. Everyone died of pneumonia in 1919. No one knew how to wash their hands. Nope. Yeah, of course everyone was dying of pneumonia. Because, like, people, yeah, people didn't know anything. I was like, and correlation is not causation. It's the first thing you learn in psychology. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And also, I was like, Anthony Fauci wasn't writing that to tell people not to wear a mask. He was just saying that. (laughs) Like, this was just a thing that happened. All right. Anyway, so when she was pregnant, um, like, Warren Harding painted this picture of this idyllic life on this farm. And he was going to leave his wife and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Shut up. So yeah, they always they like I think they they called the baby like was something like the literal little general or little something like that because they thought he was going to be a boy. But she said you know when she was like struggled out of her chloroform induced state was like is it a boy or a girl? The doctor's like it's a girl. She's like oh I always wanted a girl. Like I think she was like I, I always like you know. So Elizabeth Ann was born in November of 1919, which was also oh no October. 1919, which was like a week before my grandmother was born. She was born November 1st, 1919. Oh, that's cute. And actually, she wasn't born in Chicago. My dad was born in Chicago. I don't know. But in Chicago. And that's like, so exactly a year before Harding was elected. So (laughs) I thought you would find this. I don't know if funny is the word, but you would roll your eyes really hard at this. So Nan says like the morning that she gave birth, she was awoken by contractions but as she says 
pleasant sensations. <laughs> it felt like a hug, but on the inside of my body. And I'm like, I've never given birth, but I know that's not true. <laughs> I mean, like, let me just tell you, they start off like pretty inconsequential. A gentle crap. No, they feel like someone's nudging you on the inside, like really like like kind of like elbowing you. And then they just start squeezing harder and harder. And you go from being able to do stuff to being like, I can't walk. I can't do anything. I can't do this. I can't do that. And then it's like, no, they are not a freaking hug. They're annoying. I, and then they hurt. <laughs> I remember being in Hong Kong, like texting you when you were like giving birth. Oh, like... <laughs> Are you okay? You were like, you were like in labor for like five days. And I was like, oh my God, can you just have the baby already? Like, I'm going to be on a plane when you have the baby. <laughs> and I was, I was on a plane to Thailand. Yep. All right. So, so she had the baby on October 22nd, 1919. And as I talked about earlier, so Harding, Harding died in 1923 on August 2nd, 1923. So right before his child was four, he never met his child once. And let me just say this, he and Nan continued their affair this entire time. He saw her, he was able to have sex with her in a coat closet in the White House, but he never met his daughter. Not once. And so I he was, in a way, in a way, I'm kind of glad. I know. Yeah. But uh, but his daughter, like, yeah, I don't know. And no, but you know what I mean? Like, he just, what are you eating? Cheese out of the block? Oh my. I forgot to bring a knife. No, uh-huh. I feel like. I- you forgot. <laughs> So Harding was terrified of any exposure. And Nan and Elizabeth Ann lived almost in isolation, like pretty much. Oh. I know. Um, so anything that happened, Nan had to think about if Harding would allow it. Which like the word allow just like makes like makes Boo. my blood boil. It makes my blood boil. At one point she wanted to be an actress. And he like she told him and she was really excited about it. And he was like, Oh great. And then she left the White House and he sent her a letter. I was like, no, no, I don't want you in the public eye. I don't want anyone finding out. Like, <gasps> okay. So at another point, her daughter at age two and a half, like, locked herself in the bathroom. And she was fine, but she was just like a toddler being like, ha I'm in the bathroom. And man was like, come out. And she was like, no. And so she called the fire department. And they were, like, really annoyed that they had to, like, climb up the- and get the kid out when there was no fire. And the press thought it was, like, hilarious. So they were trying to, they were like, a fireless rescue. And Nan was literally, I don't like the term hysterics, but she was, like, sobbing because she was so anxious that they would, like, she would be in this article and they would connect her to Harding. And so she was like, no, I don't want you to take my picture. No, 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 no. So, yeah, she was snuck into the White House. Many times they had sex in a coat closet. I don't know. Mothballs. (laughs) Mothballs. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> it just, it just, it just, mothballs. it just, it just does. It just seems so uncomfortable. Continue. I mean, maybe you put, took all the coats off and put them on the ground and laid down on them. Yeah. But think about people's textures of their coats on the outside. Even back then. Mm, it's I like know. tweed and scratchy stuff. Now I feel like it'd be fine though. Everyone has like, all everyone has plus. like, I know you plus. turn all the coats inside out and then you lay on them. We're doing it correctly. So he was paying child support, but then when he died in 1923, um, not only was Nan devastated, but she she expected to be in his will. Like she literally was waiting for like the money Mm -hmm. and none came and none of his family believed it. Cause like I said, like they thought he was infertile because he had the mumps or something as a kid. Mm. So Nan had gone 
1923, she went to France to like study. Uh, I can't remember what she was studying, but she went to universities. Like she went on this trip to Europe mm-hmm. and she was, he was kind of at the end of his, he was like losing a shit. And she was super worried because she kept getting these newspaper articles that like, you know, she all, everything she learned about him because they couldn't send letters over to each other. And when she was in Europe, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have an international plan. Everything she learned, she was learning from the newspaper. So, you know, she's getting these newspapers being like, Harding has pneumonia. And she's like, oh, shit. Oh, my God. She was so anxious. And then the next day, it's like, Harding's fine. So literally the day he died, she woke up. And the newspaper said, Harding has recovered. Like I said, Harding literally keeled over in the middle of his wife reading to him. Just in the middle. Because I, I knew he contracted pneumonia. That's one thing yeah. I know about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from wearing a mask. Oh, no. He <laughs> contracted kidding. pneumonia from his inauguration. It was something stupid. Hold on. I don't know. No, we got to look it up because it was really dumb. Really? Was well, it? Yeah. Yeah. People made fun of it. It was, it was, he didn't wear a coat outside at something. Was that they him? Should. Was yeah. that him? Was it? I think so. I never, I, I didn't hear anything. I was, I mean, it could have been, but no, there was some president who died like, like two months later. I don't think that was him. Maybe it no, was. you're right. Who was it? It wasn't him. Which president died of a cold? Um, pneumonia's not a cold, but okay. No, no, no. No, someone did die of a cold, though. Like, from not wearing a president died of pneumonia. Hen, William Henry Harrison. Yes, Harrison Harding, same thing. Yeah, William. Yeah. Wait, was it William Henry Harrison, the one in Parks and Recreation? Mm-hmm. Yes, where they did that big, that big, uh, like, um, ball. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was the one that was president for, like, they were like, like 40 yeah. days. It was really yeah. short. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, was like, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, they had the Harrison Museum of like all the things he would have done. Oh he like God. probably would have done. This is like the highest amount of tangents we've ever gone on in an episode. Okay, I need to shut up so we can continue. No, we're stressed out. We need it. Yeah, you got to go vote. Okay. So, okay, so she was in Europe and the night, so he died August 2nd. So, and this is like, the night of August 2nd, she had a nightmare. And I don't, I don't like time difference. I think he might've already, like he might've just died. Yeah. But she had a dream of a coffin that was covered in like American flags and roses, like floating above her. Okay. So she like, she knew when he died, she like dreamed it. And she so said, like, he, probably, he came to her and was like letting her know. So she, yeah, and she, the next day she looked at the newspaper and the newspaper said it was fine. So she was happy. She was in a good mood. She went to go meet some friends and they were like, oh, by the way, did you hear that Harding died? Yeah. And then because no one knew, like, of course, that she was like, she was his love. They'd been like so sad. (laughs) Six and a half years. And she had his child. And she, yeah. So she just, yeah. Oh, it just breaks my heart. So she, Moved back, um, and she ended up getting married again, I think, like, actually just a couple months after to this um, captain. And she, I mean, she needed, she really needed support because she wasn't getting anything from Harding. Like, you know, she's like a stenographer. She was getting, like, 30 bucks a week. Mm. And, like, you know, her, like, and she's, like, trying to provide for her child and, like, trying to fit in society. And so she, um, and I don't, I don't think the marriage lasted, but she, I think, was pretty stressed out because... Or she wanted she so she married this guy and her daughter had been living with her sister because she was like she had to like move back live in the small apartment because she wasn't able to live in the one that Harding had been like helping her out with mm-hmm. and she just had to work full time and she like her she felt like her daughter was better with her sister at the time so she part of the reason of her marrying this guy she wasn't in love with 
who, you know, was supposed to get money, but I think he didn't have any money. He kept being like, oh, I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some. And then he never did. But part of that was so she could have her baby back. You know, it's like, and you know, you'll do anything. Anything. Yep. Anything. Yeah. So she wrote this book in 1927 and it was super detailed about their whole relationship. And I think she was really done a great disservice. Her only crime was being in love with someone. And I think she was very much taken advantage of. She basically lived as a hermit after she wrote this book. She really like disappears from history between 1927, like 1963. Like people were, you know, she was just dragged through the mud. Absolutely dragged through the mud. Like, and she, so after everyone kind of calmed the fuck down, in the 1960s, these letters were found, and people were like, oh, well, maybe the she was lying. Between her, uh, between uh, Harding and Carrie. Yeah, and, like, Nan had destroyed all the evidence. She, she had been making a scrapbook for her daughter about Harding, so she could, like, show him, show her. And um, so I think she did have some stuff, but, like, I don't think that, I think it was, like, newspaper clippings and stuff. I don't think that she kept any of the stuff because she was terrified that he would find out. Or that he they would be discovered, and that he he like wouldn't allow it. Um, like even about them drinking, like there's this thing like when he allowed me a glass of champagne. It's like ugh. you just wonder what level of abuse was there, right? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, regardless of whether there's physical abuse, like my don't... my suspicious eyes are out. Yeah, I mm-hmm. it's definitely emotional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely Mental. emotional abuse. Mental abuse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that. You know, that deserves just as much attention. Mm -hmm. So a New York Times article from July 15th, 1964, stated that she lived with a companion, Gertrude Davis. And in my mind, they were lovers. I don't know if that's the case, but it's it. I'm going to go at the best. They were lovers. And at the best, they were like Grace and Frankie. Yes. Yes, exactly. Both, both ends are best. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So she's like living with Gertrude and like their mailbox said Davis Britton. Right? Like, it's their mailbox that both their names on it. So, like, I just... They were living in Chicago, a block from Lake Lake Michigan. Like, at this cute apartment. And I'd like to believe that they were lovers or not. Like, they were just best friends. And I just think it's cute. Because, like, they had both their names on the mailbox. I think, come on. I just think and I think this. I think this quote was kind of funny, too. So, like, a Harding biographer was trying to track her down. Mm-hmm. And after ringing the bell, he was told by a... Tall, slender woman who spoke through a narrowly open door that Miss Britton was out of town. And this article says, the woman who bore a strong resemblance to photographs of Miss Britton taken in the 1930s refused to identify herself. <laughs> I'm like, come on, journalism. It's so funny. Um, but like, who's, who can blame her? Yes, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it kind of reminds me of Lucy Mercer. Like, she burned all these letters. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I just, like, want to live in the 1800s in a house where I'm, like, burning people's letters. I can, oh, my God. I can send you letters to burn. Dude. Okay, so one time I, like, I don't, I say dated loosely. I, like, kind of dated this guy. And it ended, well, it ended because I hooked up with his best friend. But he was also a trash panda. He was a trash panda. He did not respect women. And that was his fault. Okay, it was my fault. But I wrote him a letter and was, like, I wrote him a letter after things ended because I was, like, eh, I kind of, like, I was trying to like break up with him and he wouldn't let me break up with him. So I was like, he was like, oh, I've never hooked up with anyone. And I, and I, in the most dramatic sense, the most dramatic thing I've ever done, I looked him dead in the eye and I go, well, I have, <laughs> it was so dramatic anyway. Okay. But, um, 
That's a very dramatic 18-year-old. Anyway, I wrote him a letter, and he burned it. He burned it! Like, probably with a, like, Zippo. I've saved every, even if it was from exes, I think I have love letters from, like, six or seven different exes in my, like, special box. I would never burn a letter, a letter you wrote to me. I've, I've, I've even I've even shown Richard some of them, and I'm like, you understand? What, like, my partner, my husband, Richard. I'm like, yeah. you can't burn that crap. Like, oh, I know. All right. So, um, Elizabeth Ann was confirmed as Harding's daughter in 2015, and actually is one of Harding's relatives that found one of Nan's relatives and reached out to him to get DNA testing. Their families have been in this, like, Montague Capulet duel for 100 years, and they both felt that they were going to lose family members, but they felt like it had to be done. So Peter Harding, who was the grandnephew of Harding, because Harding never actually had any kids. Oh. His wife. Yep. Yeah. So she, had, oh, okay. she had a child. She had a child before they got married. That, But, like, that was the thing, is that people thought that, like, he was he couldn't have kids. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was probably, like, a fluke. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was having sex so often. It was probably just, like... One in a million shot. Literally probably one in a million. Ha! One in a million shot. God, gross. Okay, so. Not a rim shot. No. It went straight in there. So, um, <laughs> gross. Um, so, it's going to be a while to figure out. It's like, grandnephew. He, he had no other children, but he had siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, so, there, there's this grandnephew, which I feel like I should read. Grand nephew. <laughs> he read The President's Daughter. And realized that Nan might have been telling the fucking truth. He also, like, wanted to prove his uh, uncle wasn't a womanizer, but, like, he totally was. And, yeah, he didn't do a great job with that. Like, you can still be in love and be a womanizer. That's incredibly possible to be both. So, Harding once famously said to reporters, and this is not a direct quote, but, It's a good thing I'm not a woman. I'd be pregnant all the time. I can't say no. Okay, so there you go. Wait, what, is that at your house that I'm hearing it, or is that at my house? No, it's my house. I don't know what's happening outside. It's my parents' house. I'm in my parents' house. There's like... What is that? Sounds like a kid crying. Is that my kid? Is that your kid? I don't know. Go check. No, Rich is just saying one, two, three. I know. I don't think it's I don't think it's your kid. I know. I think there's kids playing out on the street. Mm-hmm. It's, like a, it's like a very suburban neighborhood out here. Okay. So, okay, my sources, really quickly, were very presidential with Ashley Flowers Political Scandals, uh, Presidential, the podcast. <sighs> okay. I have a, these titles are really A long. bit on the nose. I know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, they should be really very entertaining. Um, DNA is said to solve a mystery of Warren Harding's love life by Peter Baker for the New York Times. The Letters that Warren Harding's Family Didn't Want You to See by Jordan Michael Smith for New York Times. America's Horniest President by Jordan Michael Smith for Politico. If we weren't so obsessed with Warren G. Harding's sex life, we'd realize he was a pretty good president. By James C. Rubinall, sorry, for Washington Post. Nan Britton lives in seclusion in Chicago suburb by an unknown author from the New York Times 1964 and Encyclopedia, or Britannica. (sighs) Actually, actually had so much fun. This, like, really helped me this election day. Thank you. Me too. Should we check what's happening real quick? No. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to Highlights of History. If you like what you heard today, please go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can keep bringing you more salacious, scandalous harlots. Our music is Nia Proxis, Frank Riddick by Lloyd Rogers from freemusicarchive.com. And our cover art and editing is by us.
<laughs> we love suggestions, tips, tricks, or just salacious details you think are interesting. So please reach out to us on Instagram at Harlots of History Podcast or on Twitter at History Harlots or email us at Harlots of History Podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And remember, be a harlot, not a hater. Bye. Bye.